Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. Let me ask you, Charles, about a couple of these other names. Uh-huh. Um, Tina Marie. Okay, so Tina Marie. Benjamin Wright, Tina Marie was doing a commercial. Benjamin Wright had written out a chart, right? So Tina's guitarist couldn't read. So she brought him to the studio because, you know, um, she says, well, you know, you can have this guy named Charles Julian Fearing play. You know, I've seen his name on some records and I know he's done all the DeBarge stuff. But my guy's probably funkier than him. So, of course, when I heard that, I'm like, okay, so we're at Larrabee, right? And um, so her bassist at the time, Alan McGreer, he said, Tina, this dude is really, really funky. So after I played this guitar line for um, this commercial, and then she was doing something for um, a TV show, right? And Ben did that, too. That's when she called me and she realized that she says, um, so I heard that if you don't have a chart, you can write the chart out and you'll just hear the music and you'll play it. I said, yeah. So again, now we're at Stevie Wonder Studio, you know, and um, the, the record was called Fix It. And I forget the other one, you know, and um she was a genius, dude, because as a producer, she knew exactly what she wanted. Um, but also, if you were bringing something valuable to the party, not trying to overplay, but make the overall record better, you know, she would listen from a, well, you know what, this might make it better standpoint. You know, she wasn't locked into the ego while I'm producing. It was about being better. You know, and, um, you know, she was discovered by Lee Young Sr. because she was a writer at Motown. You know, she was down in the basement at Mo West and um, Lee Young Sr. You know, told Barry Gordy, man, we need to record her, bro. You know, so that's how she got on was, you know, from Lee going down there, listening, listening to her sing and come up with this song, come up with these songs for other Motown artists saying, look, you need to be recording this stuff yourself. You know, so it's just right moment, right time. You know, um, you know, it's like with Dionne Warwick. I see her all the time and I thank her, you know, 
for being on the session, you know, that led to writing with Barry Manilow. And Dion says, Charles, you were just in the right place at the right time, and God was with you. Wow. You know, this is freaking Dion Warwick, bro. You know what I'm saying? Well, <laughs> you know? I mean, you have to be as well prepared as possible and open, you know, uh, from right. what you're telling right. me, everything you're telling me, you were open to what these people were willing to impart on you. Oh, yes, of course. I mean, it's like when we were doing Kenny Rogers, right? So it's Clarence McDonald, God rest his soul, you know, Clarence McDonald, you know, James, all the James Taylor stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and by the way, once I hooked up with Clarence, we started getting together. He's like, hey, man, I'm going to show you how to voice the chords like how I showed James. So now I'm getting this other lesson. And we're on this Kenny. So I'll go back to Kenny Rogers. So Kenny Rogers and Gene Page is the arranger. And it's probably seven, eight people on the session. But seven of the eight people are all black. <laughs> and it's one white guy, right? He's playing um, banjo. So Kenny makes a comment. He says, um, man, how come all of you black guys uh, know how to play country music? You know what I'm saying? And so nobody says anything. And I raised my hand. I said, well, Kenny, you know, I was raised in the Church of God in Christ. And I said to me, country music is just some of it is just watered down gospel music. And I said, you know, some of those Southern Baptists down in the South, that's just quartet singing. And I said, if you listen to the root of where that music is, you know, that's that country beat. You know what I'm saying? You know, like with praise and worship, when the Church of God in Christ goes double time, that's like that honky tonk thing. And he he and I remember him looking up, like you know what? You're right. And that goes to show you that if you love the music, it's just music. Because if you listen to the stuff that the Muscle Shoals guy played, which was a mixed session, now they're down in they're down in the deep south in the 60s cutting these hits so they could be together in the studio but they couldn't be seen going to the same restaurant yeah. or eating together like that or hanging listen to that music that's your hypocrisy that, well no i understand that scott but 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 what i'm saying the commonality is, the commonality, it wasn't black or white. It was just, hey, man, we got to do this. You know, another one of my big sessions, right? So Ed Green, the drummer, Ed Green, right? Okay. So, you know, Ed Green put on all the very white stuff and, 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 and a bunch of other stuff. And, you know, Ed Green, Ed Green, Ed Green. So my first big session, I, I think it was Donna Summer or something like that. Um, I'm going to meet Ed Green. You know, I saw him like, oh, man. So I know in my mind, Ed Green is like a black guy. He's got to be a black guy, right? Okay, so I get to the session. This white dude with long hairs, 
is putting up the thimbles and he rolled three joints and put them on the tom-tom, right? You know, he had two toms and one of the tom-toms. He rolled three joints. He lined them up like this. So Ed Green's got this dude rolling joints for him. Man, this is like incredible, right? So session started 10 o'clock. It's 9.50. Everybody was there. So I'm thinking, well, it's Ed Green. You know, he's probably going to come in at the last minute like Superman. And, you know, you know, he's freaking Ed Green. So Gene Page is introducing me to the guys. And he's like, oh, we've got this young, wonderful guitarist. And he's multi-talented. And, and when he gets to Ed Green, I said, Ed, I got to talk to you on the lunch break, dude. You know, or like when we have a break. So I, t I said, Ed, I thought you were black, bro. All those records you have done, you know, and again, that showed me, again, it doesn't matter. When it gets to that level, if you're into it, you're into it. Well, even He's Tina Marie we were just talking about, and she didn't have her picture on the first album because they were concerned about that. Of course. And everyone thought she was black at first. Of course. Of yeah. course. You know, but see, fortunately now, we've gotten past that to a certain extent. You know, um, because if you're a lover of music, you know, it's like if you look at John Baptiste, who can literally do anything, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, he's Juilliard, you know, Terrence Blanchard. You know, and I had the pleasure of working with Terrence on One Night in Miami. You know, if you watch that movie, the first musician credit is me. You know, so that, you know, that feels good. Um, but, you know, working with people of that caliber um, is unbelievable because you don't even think about their color. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's just, okay, you know, you know, and um, like when Billie Jean came out, right? they had given the guitar credit to Dean Parks, who had also played on Billie Jean. Dean Parks didn't play that part. David Williams, God rest his soul, played the part. So Dean Parks took out a two-page ad in Billboard magazine, letting people know that that Billie Jean part that everybody was going crazy over, it wasn't him, it was David Williams. That's incredible. Because Dean Parks is secure. Dean Parks is is still doing his thing. You know what I'm saying? And I thought, I was like, wow. You know, I mean, they corrected the credits on the next run, but Dean takes it upon himself because Billie Jean was such a hit. You know, um, you know, those are the kind of people that I like that are not insecure. And if something is wrong, you know, you step up and you say what it is. You know what I'm saying? You know, because I've had that happen to me a couple of times. You know what I'm saying? Um, 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 you know, I remember, you know, doing all this love for DeBarge, right? Okay, so this was the first record that um, Benjamin Wright knew I wanted to, you know, do some arranging. So I had done DeBarge's first record, but this is their second record. So I meet El DeBarge at, um, you know, and like I said, I already knew him, but this is a whole different thing from being called to be on the session. And he sits down and he plays me the song, All This Love. And I'm like, dude, 
that's one of the greatest love songs I've heard because what I said the lyric, well, a man is telling a woman that he'll wait for her. You go, you know, usually it's the other way around. Oh, you go out and, you know, sow your wild oats. So when we're talking about production of the song, I tell him, I say, hey, El, I'm only going to put acoustic guitar, finger picking, and then I'm going to do um, a guitar solo in the um, third verse. I said, I'm going to break it up with acoustic and classical guitar. Okay, so we do the record. And Iris Gordy, who was A&R in the project, she hears the solo. And she tells me, she says, well, you're not playing fast enough. And, 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 and so I tell her, I said, Iris, look, I believe if Ernie Isley or George Benson walked in here, that they would play something similar. Because remember, the man is saying, all this love is waiting for you. So then she turns around and tells me, well, that's okay, because we just hired Jose Feliciano, and I'm going to have Jose come in, and I'm going to have Jose play this solo and so on. I said, look, I don't care who you call. Okay, fast forward. They're mixing the record up in Dawn and Motown. I get this call at what I call no o'clock in the morning, like three o'clock. And I answer the phone. Mr. Fearing, Mr. Fearing, that guitar solo is freaking incredible. I'm like, who is this? It's Barry, baby. It's Barry, baby. It's Barry. So then, then Benjamin Wright gets on the phone and he calls me by my middle name. He says, Julian, you out Jose, Jose. I'm like, what are you talking about, dad? Because I call Ben dad. He says, well, we're up here mixing all this love. It's L, Bonnie Perkins, myself, and Barry Gordy. And when it got to the solo, um, Barry Gordy says, we're going to have to redo the solo. And then Barney Perkins says, well, Charles Julian has a solo on tracks one and two. So what you hear was the original solo that I did. So every time I see Iris Gordy, I always rib her, you know, about, okay, so you called Jose, you know, and I out Jose, Jose, you know. And again, it's not that Jose can't play because obviously he can play and he can definitely sing. But just for that record, whatever he played, and I never heard what he played. You know what I'm saying? But for that record, you know, um, um, I just played the right thing. You know what I'm saying? But also, you know, I was really listening to the lyric and I don't know what the situation was when he played it, you know. And like I said, I never heard it. But sometimes, you know, some things are just better than... Um, you know, other things, you know, yeah. it's like the solo, you know, it's like the solo on peg. Larry Carlton was so upset that he could not play that solo. Cause if you listen, you know, you know, they're changing chords and changing keys that Larry Carlton asked for the chart so he can go home and practice to learn how to play through those chord changes. And this is freaking Larry Carlton. You know, this is not some guy that can't play. You know, Skunk Baxter played too. You know what I'm saying? But Jay Graydon, you know, has this other thing and he just heard it differently and and played it. You know what I'm saying? That's just like certain bands have the chemistry together, you Come know, on. but then when you take them apart, you yeah, know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, so, you know, so I'm very respectful 
full of all of that. You know, it's like my young son, he got into Queen, right? He really got into Queen after Bohemian Rhapsody. And he realizes, wow, Queen is different from other rock bands. And then he realizes not only can Freddie Mercury sing, but Freddie Mercury has a classical background. He's studying classical piano. And just how that music is treated, you know, like after he heard Journey and he hears Steve Perry's vocals, he's like, Dad, that guy can sing. You know what I'm saying? You know, like he's listening to We Are The World and, and, and he would always go to Steve Perry's part. Because the way Steve sings, his vocal cuts through. You know what I'm saying? And I said, son, these are the things that you need to listen for and listen to. I mean, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, so, you know, I'm glad that I have been involved in those kind of moments. Um, you know, and speaking of Joe Cocker, okay, so Diane Warren, I'm sure you know who Diane Warren is, right? So Diane Warren calls me up and she says, hey, Charles, you know, I don't want to offend you, but um, we're doing this demo on um, Joe Cocker. And actually, we're going to have Neil Schoen from Journey play the guitar, you know, so I need you to do, you know, like a rock thing, you know, rhythm guitar. And then, you know, he's going to take the great big solo. So I'm like, hey, Diane, you know, Neil, man, Neil is freaking unbelievable. Okay, so I do the demo, and then I get a call. Hey, look, can you come down to the studio? And I had told Diane I wanted to meet Neil. So I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to come down and meet Neil. She says, well, call your cartridge and have, bring your, you know, bring your stuff. And that sound that you played the rock rhythm on, Neil wants to meet you because he can't get the how you played this rhythm. This is Neil. So I get to meet Neil, and his solo was freaking unbelievable, dude. I mean, come on, you know. So I'm doing this rhythm, and he's watching me. And I told him, I said, well, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the Church of God in Christ, but I grew up in the church. And I said, you know, I kind of like to add that kind of swing to it. You know, and then towards the end of the record, you know, he's doing this solo and I just immediately start playing a third above him, you know, because I heard it. And he's he's like, man, how did you know? You know, I said, well, um, you know, I heard the interval, you know, I heard the intervals. And he was like, wow, you know, and it was just a compliment to have this guy who is unbelievable at playing the guitar and journey is one of those groups, you know, that had, um, you know, you could tell that they were musicians, you know, they didn't just play one, four, five, and, you know, and I don't have anything against one, four, five, but, um, you know, uh, you know, that band had some great material and, you know, um, for him to want to check me out and, and want to stay there and see how I played this rhythm on this demo. So now I'm on the record playing rhythm guitar, you know, rock rhythm guitar, and Neil Sean is taking the solo. You know what I'm saying? You know, and then, you know, you know, I started soloing along with him when I knew that, you know, you know, this was like at the four, 
plus minutes, I knew that they weren't going to use anything. So I just started, you know, and, you know, and just the process of him telling me, you know, that was a compliment, man. You know, that's a compliment, you know, because again, this is, you know, this is Neil, bro. You know, this is freaking Neil, you know. What are what are one or two of your most unforgettable uh, performance memories? Okay, so Tina Turner, Private Dancing. Okay, um, you know I'm in the Crusaders now. You know they let me know that hey man, we're doing Tina Turner. You know we're doing this song, Private Dancer. Tina shows up to the studio, dude. The legs are better than advertised. Okay, I'm I'm telling you, it's freaking unbelievable. So as we're running down the song, she comes in the studio and she looks at me and she says, you have no idea what that guitar part is doing to me right now. And I look at Joe Sample, I look at Indugu and I look at Wilton Felder and the look that they gave me was just a look of joy because this is Tina Turner, bro. This is freaking Tina Turner, right? You know, um, that was one, that that moment was incredible. Then another moment was when Michael Jackson did the halftime for the Super Bowl, right? So he calls me, hey, Charles, um, um, I'm down at Larry B. North. I said, Michael, please talk in your record. Okay, hey, Charles, so um, I'm down at Larry B. North. And um, um, and see, I had just done some rock stuff for he and Quincy. He says, like, I need you to come down here because Jennifer Batten is out of town and we're recording, you know, you know, the Super Bowl halftime, you know, the pre-record stuff. Okay. So, you know, come down to Larrabee. So I call Cartage and, you know, I've got a double guitar case on my back and the executive producer says, oh, great. The guitar player stuff is here. I said, oh, well, I'm not just a guitar player. I'm a guitarist. He says, oh, well, all the funk stuff is down the hall. I said, no, I'm Charles Julian Fearing. Um, Michael called me, you know, and, you know, I'm here. So uh, Michael's engineer tells the executive but he says look man this guy's probably the most versatile guy you know i mean he can play anything bro you know so i said dude i'm gonna do this stuff in one take you know because i had heard beat it and it was in the same key and i have a guitar matter matter of fact my charvel strat is tuned to e flat right so I played the rock cues, black and white. I played, you know, um, 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 you know, you know, the solo thing on Beat It, and I forget what the other song was. So now he wants to be my best friend. So now I have to give him education. I said, so now you know the distorted guitar sound started in the black church, because I said, you know, the black churches couldn't afford the Hammond Big B3 organs like the big white churches. So you had slide guitars and guitars. So as the choir got bigger, they started turning the volume up. 
And they discovered the closer they got to the amp that they could hold that note just as long and get overtones, you know, this distorted thing, right? And then I reminded him of Sister Rosetta Tharp. I'm bringing him up to B.B. King. And then I said, look, man, there's a guy that everybody's still chasing. He, you know, he died in 1971, Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> Come on, you know, everybody's still chasing Hendrix. And, and it's amazing because he hadn't thought about it that way. And then he also played guitar. So he's like, look, um, um, can we get together and go shopping? I'm going to get everything that you get. I said, look, having the equipment is one thing. But having this, that's a whole nother thing. You see what I'm saying? And, and that was a great session for me because Michael personally called me. But also, you know, the executive producer, ABC, got to see, you know, <laughs> what music is really about. There's no color to it. It's just if, you, if you're into it, you can get to it. You see what I'm saying? And if you want to get into it, get around some people that are into it. That's it. It's not black or it's not white. It's just, hey, man, let's go. You, you see what I'm saying? What are you bringing to the party? You know, right. what are you bringing to the party? You know what I'm saying? Um, um, like Sly and the Family Stone were the first integrated band. You know, the Doobie Brothers. You know, um, 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 when you hear these groups that have great music, great singers, great contributions um, that were, quote unquote, going through a door that people hadn't gone through, you, you, know, you know, because Louis Armstrong, the only time he could play with my, white musicians were after they finished their gigs and they had a jam session, you know, and one of the reasons why Louis Armstrong is not buried in New Orleans in his hometown, because he tried to put together the first integrated band to play. And they told him he couldn't go do that. That's why he's buried in Brooklyn, dude. Because, and, and all they want to do is play music. They didn't want to date white girls or anything like that. They wanted to play music together. When you think about that, you think, wow. But that was a serious issue back then. Oh, yeah. So, you know, so now my thing is just to feel. You know, how does it make you feel? If you want to learn how to do that, get into the feel and leave yourself open. Don't think white, black, blue, brown. Just get into what that feeling means to you. Oh, absolutely. You know? I mean, um, Charles, when you look back on all these amazing accomplishments you've done musically and all these things you've taken in, these life lessons, what are you most proud of accomplishing in your music career? Mm. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll have to say Barry Manilow because that took my writing to another level. And, you know, he calls me one day and I, I'm like, who is this? It's Barry. I'm like, Barry? I'm Barry. Oh, Manilow, Manilow, if you don't have a session, can you come to my house and let's write some songs together, right? So I go up to his estate. And he was the one that really taught me music publishing, licensing, all of this stuff 
which I knew about, but I didn't. You know, so he says, write this down because you're not going to remember it. Then he tells me, musically, I remind him of himself when he was Bette Midler's arranger. So we find out that we both love Burt Bacharach. We love Tom Bell. Okay, so at that time, my father was having heart issues and, you know, triple bypass and a whole bit. So I come in one day. And um, he says, is your dad okay? I said, no, man, something bad happened last night. I said, Felipe sold win of the spinners. He died on stage. Now, we love the spinners, right? And we love Felipe. So we're both sitting there crying up at his house. Then he picks up the phone, calls his office, and tells whoever there at the office, hey, look, Charles and I are here writing. He's going to be here till about 5 or 6 o'clock. Um, make sure you find out Felipe Solwyn's wife because he has kids and he put out an amount of money to send to this woman. Now, we both didn't know Felipe Wynn. We just appreciated his, his, um, you know, his gift because when I worked with the um, Spinners, it was the other guy who sang Cupid, right? And he didn't want any credit. Then he tells the office, Make sure that she doesn't have the tax liability to pay on the money. And I was like, wow, ain't this about something else? He didn't want any credit. This was a conversation that I saw, you know. Then he breaks out his um, accordion and says, man, my grandfather back in New York, he would book me gigs. Every, I was playing at ball mistress and this, that, and the other, and so and so. He was like my manager. You know what I'm saying? And so Barry Mantle takes out his accordion and starts sounding like Myron Florence from Lawrence Welk Show. You know what I'm saying? This is a great moment for me because he's letting me know that he says, well, you do jingles too, right? I was like, yeah. He says, well, you know, I wrote the thing from McDonald's and American Bandstand and he's, you can take Salem out of the country, but you can, he's like telling me all this stuff and he says, okay, so I know you're getting to write jingles, but what you got to do, you got to sing on them too, because see, you want to make sure that you get the maximum amount of pay that you can get, because when you sing, that's another thing. But when you sing lead or background, it's a whole other thing. You know what I'm saying? So I'm getting this whole other education. You know what I'm saying? And, totally and, me and, he mentored you. Oh, come on. <laughs> That's how I learned the publishing. You know, um, 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 like he tells me, he says, look, I know you write lyrics, but um, I'm going to get Adrian Anderson. You know, she wrote Mandy and this, that, and the other, and we're going to split the song three ways, and, you know, you're going to get your publishing, and you know, so you and Adrian are going to get 33.33. And because I'm Barry Manilow, I'm going to get 33.34 because it has to, you know, and I'm just getting this lesson from this guy that has had that that's been more than successful. You, you, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Um, um, and that's how I met Bob Gaudio because, um, what happened, they had, um, um, his name was Howie, 
He used to be on Room 222, but he was one of Richard Perry's young producers. He produced the song first, right? So then Bob Gaudio, you know, who wrote all the songs for Frank Valli and the Four Seasons, produced all the Neil Diamond stuff. When Barry gets with him, Barry plays him the original demo on cassette of Barry playing the piano, me playing guitar, and Barry and I both singing the song. So he asked Barry, who is that playing the guitar? He says, oh, that's, um, you know, that's the kid that co-wrote the song. So then Barry calls me and says, um, you know, I need you to get down to this studio, which I had always seen the studio. I just didn't know whose studio it was, right? So that's how I got to meet Bob Gaudio. And then he gives me a whole nother lesson, you know, in writing and, and you know, he says, yeah, I might have been and the Four Seasons. He said, but I wrote all the songs and I own all the publishing. Oh, okay. So now I understand that conversation because Barry Manilow has already hit me to what that is. You know, and he says, well, one of the reasons why I want to do Barry Manilow because he says I could do a Neil Diamond record in my sleep. I want the challenge of doing something different. Wow. I mean, he, now to say that is one thing, but to say it and mean it is a whole nother thing. And then he just starts giving me this advice, you know, and this guy's been in the game, you know, <laughs> probably before I was born, you know what I'm saying? And he's just freely giving me this advice. And this is, hey, man, you should just come hang out with me. You, you know what I'm saying? And bring your guitar, you know, you know, bring your guitar, you know. Bring your acoustic guitar and let's just, you know, if we play, we play. But he said, but if not, what I'm going to give you, you can use. Like, damn, really? So now I'm hanging out with Bob Gaudio. You know what I'm saying? And he would play me stuff and show it. You know, he says, and, and when you're writing a song, he said, always show your song. He says, you're a guitarist. He said, with the vocal and the guitar, or the piano and the vocal. He said, because that's how people want to hear the song. Then you can hear the song. They don't need to hear all this big track and strings and your ideas. He said, that's production. He said, always the song is king. It's like in Nashville. In Nashville, the song is king. You could have the greatest track in the world, but if you don't have a story um, um, and a great vocal, that That's doesn't work the, in Nashville. That doesn't song, work in Nashville, bro. Yeah, the songs are what endures. They, right. Yeah. You know, you know, so I've had great mentors across the board who knew that I really wanted it. I wanted it the right way. And I would just be in situations where they would say, hey, man, well, Come here. You know, hey, you know, come hang out. You know, hey, you know, you know, you know, Bob told me because um Bob's studio was catty corner to the total experience, right? And it was this glass building. I I knew it was a studio, but I just had never worked there. To find out that Bob Gaudio's studio, he says, So next time you have the total experience recording, man, just come on over. He says, I'm always there. He said, When you see my car. Don't even call, just, you know, come on over. Wow, really? You know, so that's how the relationship 
started. And then, you know, I could ask him anything and he would give me advice. And, you know, and again, this is all from writing with Barry Manilow and, you know, Bob hearing the guitar on a cassette demo of Barry playing the piano, me playing um, electric guitar, you know, and Bob's like, well, who's that playing the guitar? Because that's what we need, that feel right there. That feel, that's what we need on this record. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, you just never know what situation you're going to be in and just be open and be ready. You know, Absolutely. because the universe has got your back if you have your own back and you're honest. You see what I'm saying? And that's what I'm teaching my son is that you always want to be honest and don't think you know everything. Oh, no, you know always, always be a student, always be learning. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, because I'm willing to learn something, um, um, you know, and I don't think I know everything. I, I really don't. You well, know? You've certainly imparted a lot of knowledge in this time we've been together, and I really appreciate it, and the viewers are going to really appreciate it. But I want oh, to make sure. Thank you. Thank you, man. Thank you. I, I want to make sure you mentioned new music at the outset, but I want to make sure that anything else you have going on, that people are aware of that and how they can keep up with you and all that good stuff. Well, you know, um, you know, I'm on Facebook, you know, Charles Julian Fearing and C. Julian Fearing on Facebook. I'm on Instagram, but I don't really go to Instagram. Like my son hooked me up, but I, you know, the only reason why I used Instagram for the first time because it was Johnny Gill's birthday and I wanted to send him my rendition of happy birthday solo jazz guitar. So, um, you know, my son has to remind me to go to Instagram because he'll say, dad, you've got all these messages and people want to follow you. And, you know, um, and the new music that I'm doing, I'm working with a couple of big artists that I can't talk about. And this super group, I can't talk about either, but you know what, Scott, I'm gonna keep you in the loop. You know, I'll send you pictures of Dion Warwick and us, and um, I'll send you, when my first met, when my son first met Dion, and then she had a concert that we just went to in B Beverly Hills at the Saban. And when she saw Alex, Alex is six two, six three. She said, "Well, he's certainly not little Alex anymore." Yeah, you know what I'm saying. You know, well, and the great thing is that um, we're going to go to Dion's house and hang out. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to bring my guitar and. He plays piano and, you know, I mean, you know. And some back rock tunes. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you know, so, you know, like he told me, he says, Dad, you know, I get to meet some really cool people. And, like, he told this, um, you know, um, we did an interview last week. And he told the lady, he says, yeah, so, like, the phone will ring. And my dad asked me to answer the phone. And it'll be Lou Adler and it'll be Quincy Jones. And, you know, you know, and my dad is just talking to them, you know, regular or it'll be stevie and and you know um you know it's just a great thing for him to realize and i told him i said look i want you to do better than me bro so whatever i can do but i said your job is to be a good person be a good student and keep practicing your craft you know what i'm saying you know and you'll be able to get there because he's you know he's very talented you know he's very very talented and, you know, but I told him, you know, um, you know, you have to be honest. And if you make a misstep and you know it's wrong, don't make the same misstep again. 
You know what I'm saying? And be, and because, be, account- and be accountable. Yeah. And, right. And be accountable. You know, you know, you know, remain accountable. And, you know, so, you know, I'm just teaching him the way that I was taught. And now he gets it because when I hear him talking about me, like in the interview, I'm like, okay, so this stuff is rubbing off on him. You know what I'm saying? You know, yeah, you know cool. and it felt good to hear him, you know, and a couple of times I teared up because he's he's just telling what he experienced. You know what I'm saying? Um, um, it's like um, he and my wife, um, you know, his mother, you know, they had never heard me play rock guitar, right? So they're like, oh, you can't play rock guitar because around the house, I'm practicing acoustic, classical guitar, playing the Bella Laika. But that's from George Benson. George, you know, when I met George Benson playing with Barry White, he said, man, don't ever practice on electric guitar. He said, you practice on acoustic or classical guitar. And then all that stuff you're doing, if you could do it on there, when you get to electric guitar, it'll be like butter, baby. It'll be like butter. Okay. So so fast forward, I get called to um, be a musician and a singer for Shout Sister Shout about um, Sister Rosetta Tharp. So I feel blessed because the music director and the executive producer and the producer, they're like, so who can we get who's very versatile, but who could sing, but also, you know, and my name kept coming up. Okay. So, you know, Gibson is um, supplying all the guitars. I'm playing, you know, Sister Rosetta Tharp played nine different guitars throughout her career. So now I have all these custom shop guitars and one of the guitars was a guild. So I'm like, well, we got to get a guild. They're like, no, 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 you don't. Because she played the guitar that Chet Atkins played. And when Chet Atkins went from guild, um, um, he came to Gibson and we have the same guitar. So now I'm playing all these incredible, incredible custom shop guitars. So, so in the show, there was a couple of cues where, you know, it's a rock thing, right? Okay, so Vox um, is doing the amps and the pedals, right? Because we can't figure out, and I'm doing my research, we couldn't figure out what amp she played before she did that video on the train and it was a Vox amp. So, okay, so we've got Gibson and Vox guitars. So there's this crunch pedal that I didn't know how to use. And so I said, hey, look, man, I kind of want to Sister Rosetta Tharp, Muddy Waters Hendrix sound. You know, that's what, you know, so if you can get that and I can store it, you know, and I hit the pedal, I have that sound. So I get to the um, Pasadena Playhouse early and the guy says, hey, man, I got the sound, man. Go up and play. So I grab, you know, the, the SG and a Les Paul, and I'm just up there going crazy. I'm playing Hendrix, The Wind Cries Mary, and, you know, just all this stuff, and I'm starting to soloing. Then the producer says, okay, hold on. So this is what we're going to do. At the end of the show, after we do the last two choruses, I want you to go crazy. I'm like, really? Okay, so, of course, you know, I invite my son, you know, my wife and my son. So they don't know that at the end of the show, 
after two choruses of of I forget the gospel song we were playing, that I'm gonna go crazy. And they're gonna put the spotlight on me and I step out the whole bit. And the look on my son's face and the look on my wife's face. And then he said, Dad, everybody in the audience was like, oh my God. So you can play rock and roll. It sounded in, so so it was like a, you know, that was like, another great moment. Like, you like know. Steve Vai in Crossroads. Do you remember that? Yeah, right, 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 right. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, it was like that. It was like that, you know. So, you know, and he talked about that in the interview. That's why it's so fresh, you know. But it's, you know, hey, man, I'm having the time of my life. You know, I'm having the time of my life. You know, radio just got inducted into the R&B Hall of Fame. and Yeah, congratulations on that, too. Thank you, man. That was September 24th and went back to Detroit. And, you know, I hadn't played that music in so long, you know, and it felt good to be in rehearsal. And for Arnell and Darren Carmichael to say, man, there's that voice. There's that guitar. You know what I'm saying? So it felt good to, you know, and we closed the show. We played four songs. Um, Those who like to groove. We closed with You Can't Change That. Um, Jack and Jill, of course. And A Woman Needs Love. You know, so so it was cool to play those songs again and to sing them and you know and you know and for us to be received and that way and you know my family was there and all my other children it's it was great scott it was great you know of course nice. i start crying you know of course i start crying you know but but it was good though Ar- arnell's was, really helped keep that uh, legacy alive over the years yeah 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 so you know so they're doing their thing and i'm doing my thing and everybody's everybody's happy you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So well, now I'm happy too. So thank you yeah. for that. Good, man. So. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny, you know, you mentioned Larry Grant, right? So that bass style that he came up with was because the drummer in the church band that he and his grandmother played in, the drummer couldn't be in the band anymore. So Larry figured out that system of keeping rhythm with the thumb and pluck, you know, you know, like a bass drum and snare kind of thing. Just think about that. Making up for you know, it. Okay, so we don't have a drummer. We got to play, but somebody's got to keep the rhythm. You so know, innovative, come, innovative. Yeah. Come on, come on. You know what I'm saying? You know, and I remember, um, um, I was in the Crusaders, and um, we were doing Street Life, right? So Larry Graham grabbed the bass, and you know, Street Life, you know. Every other chorus, it changes keys, right? So Larry was having a little trouble um, hearing the key. And he turns around and says, the key of E. And then we go to the key of E. And he starts playing. And I remember Joe Sample just shaking his head in joy because it really got funky then. I mean, you know, and Larry Graham is just doing what he does and you know, you know, with that baritone voice and just being Larry Grant, you know what I'm saying? You know, so that was a great moment to feel that funk, you know, because I had never played with him. Um, you know, I've never recorded with him, but, you know, Indugo on the drums, Wilton on tenor, Joe on piano, I'm on guitar, and I forget the other guitars. Um, it wasn't David. Um, 
it was it was this white guy who was an incredible lead guitarist, and unfortunately uh, he was a, he was a hair he was a heroin addict though too. But oh oh my God, he could play. Oh my God, he could play. I I don't remember his name, but he damn sure could play. Was it Barry F- uh, Finnerty? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. He's been on yeah. the show. He's he's cleaned up now, I guess. But oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. still playing. Yeah. Oh, okay. Good, good. Because he's a great player. Yeah. Great, great player. I mean, I mean, you know, when we were rehearsing, I'm like, oh my god. You know, just the stuff he. I mean, not only can he play lead, but it's like the stuff that he hears. It's like, okay, you know, you know, he can play in between all this stuff that Joe Sample's playing and not sound like it's a train wreck. You know, you know, you know, I'm sitting there playing the funk and doing all this stuff. You know, I'm playing common tones and playing rhythm and, you know, and, you know, but I was just impressed that, um, and I know he had been working with the Crusaders long before I got there, but it was just, I was just impressed that, um, you know, he could come up with this stuff, you know, because Joe Sample can play a lot of stuff, bro. I mean, and it's all working. Okay, so now you know all of the Jackson 5 records that were cut out here. You know that's Joe Sample and Wilton Felder playing bass. Wilton, yeah. I mean, I wasn't so sure about Joe, but... No, no. Okay, so let me tell you what happened. And Joe told me this himself. So so it was Joe Sample and Clarence McDonald playing piano, right? So one day... Somehow the the music didn't get there, you know, from the copyist. So they've got a session full of musicians. And Joe Sample tells them, hey, look, if you go out there and play the piano or or you know, or, you know, the songwriter, you know, I'll write the chart out. They're like, You can do that? Joe's like, Yeah. That's how Joe became an arranger at Motown. They always knew he could play piano. That's how he became an arranger, <laughs> because on a session that that the music didn't show up from the copyist, Joe wrote the music out for everybody. Okay, so this is the bass part. Okay, so let me write that out. And here, here, you know, you know, go to the copy machine and copy it and give it to Wilton. Yeah, necessity, yeah. the mother of invention, just like the Larry Graham thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and uh, uh, um. Um, you know, so you just never know what situation you're going to be in. Just, you know, just be ready. Man. You know, the Always thing is, is you know, you got to leave yourself open and, um, um, you know, you know, I remember when I worked with Gene Page, Gene Page would always come over and tell me, hey, look, when we get to the vamp of the record, give me that hit record thing. Right. So on the playback. I realized that if I played another part that, you know, I'd get a, you know, I'd be making like triple, quadruple scale, right? So I would always get in Gene's ear and I would sing him the part. He would say, oh, oh, wait, hold on, baby. Um, Let's roll it back. Let's let Charles go out there. He's going to do an overdub and we can record and listen at the same time because what he's going to play is just going to be wonderful. It's going to be wonderful. You know, and I just remember, you know, know, and she would always say, you know, man, give me that hit record thing. Give me that hit record thing. You know, so I've been very, very fortunate. And, um, you know, I remember um, at Capitol Records, 
you know, um, I'm at Capitol Records working with Kurt Farquhar, and we're doing Sinbad show. And um, this little guy walks in from Disney, and he says, man, I, God, I really like the way your guitar sounds and the effects you're using. And man, but I've never heard of you. You know, I'm like, look, you know, and my ego, I'm like, dude, I'm like the king of records, bro. You know, so then he tells me, he says, well, look, um, I would like you to come to my office because I want you to do some TV and film stuff. I'm like, dude, I'm a record guy. He says, no, just come to my office, please. Because he said, I love the way you play the parts because you play the parts like you're playing on a record, but you can read. So if it's a 30-second cue, it sounds like a record. Okay, so I go to his office. This guy is vice president of motion picture and TV for Disney. Okay. The president is Cheryl Milton, who was at that time Danny Elfman's wife. And he says, okay, so the first project, um, you've heard of this guy named Mark Shaman? I'm like, yeah, of course. He says, look, we're doing this film called James and the Giant Peach. Not only do I want you to um, get with Mark and play on the sessions, but that feel that you have, that's the kind of feel that we need for this film on a couple of the um, source cues, which is like a song. So now, not only am I doing the session, but I'm also co-writing some stuff with Mark Shane. You know, so it's just amazing how, you know, and I didn't know who this guy was. And he was booking all the sessions for Buena Vista, which was a non-union of Disney, for Touchtone and for Disney. And he had these white chalkboard thingies that he's booking all of these sessions. So that's how I got into Disney. You know what I'm saying? Um, and, you know, as a musician and then writing, and then we did this thing called Pepper Ann um, with the um, keyboard player from um, the B-52s. He was just getting into writing music, um, you know, for TV and film. And Reggie Wilson hooked me up with him. And so we did Pepper Ann together and it was great, man. You know what I'm saying? You know, all because, uh, you know, you know, like Dion Warwick said, you know, you're in the right place at the right time. You know, who, and I always think about that. You know, I always your, think about that. Who's your other favorite guitar player besides Hendrix? Oh, okay. Of course, Wes Montgomery, Lorendo Almeida, Segovia, you know, um, lesser known people. Um, this guy named Wayne Bennett. I met Wayne Bennett when I was at Barry White, so I was a teenager. So Wayne Bennett was the guy that played in all Bobby Blue Bland's stuff, right? So, you know, I had already heard of David T. Walker and this other guitarist that was older than me that played with Barry White. He says, well, actually, David T. Walker's style, he got it from Wayne Bennett. Somehow, yeah, right. So now when I go over to, and I meet Wayne Bennett, Wayne Bennett sounds like David T. Walker on steroids. You know what I'm saying? So, um, and then of course, B.B. King, you know, it, actually B.B. King and I, we're born on the same day, September 16th. And so is Earl Clues. Earl Clues born on September 16th. Well, that's my wedding anniversary. Oh, I see. Oh, okay. So congratulations. So, um, so 
my first encounter with B.B. King, I played on this song called Slow and Easy. I played rhythm guitar, right? Okay, so this guy named Johnny Pate is producing. So B.B. King needed to rent my guitar because I had a 335. Of course, he had Lucille, a 355. And because he had a gig, or you know, they shipped Lucille away. So, so they called me and they're like, you know, hey, you know, we want to rent your guitar. BB wants to use your guitar. You know, because I had already shown BB that I could imitate him and the whole bit and blah, 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 blah. And um, I'm like, no, man, look, you know, he can just use it, man. You don't have to pay me. You don't have to pay me. So BB says, son. Look, we'd have to go to SIR or whoever else, you know, has a guitar. I know what your guitar sounds like. And so now, and um, I still have the I still have the receipt. It was $75, right? Okay, so now I get another call for the same record. So I'm thinking at this point, oh, they probably want me to play some rhythm guitar, you know. So, um, and this was before digital. So Johnny Page says, um, okay, so this is what happened. The second engineer accidentally um, erased six bars of BB solo. So what I need you to do is finish the solo. I know you can already sound like him. So now I'm like, oh, God. I got to be B.B. King. He says, look, man, just do what you did when you were showing B.B. and I that you can play like B.B. King. So now I'm so now after I he calms me down because I'm like, OK, I was like just kidding. I wasn't really being serious. I mean, you know, I love B.B. King. So I got to finish this solo on this record. And it sounded just like BB King, you know what I'm saying? So you know, it's you know, and then fast forward, um, for the soundtrack to Into the Night, right? Okay, so um, Ira Newborn, who was a guitarist and also a great arranger, calls me for is that a Scorsese? Is that a Scorsese movie? No, that's a John. a Landis movie. That's a John Landis movie, right? Okay, like, so... It was Gabriel Byrne or Jeff Goldblum or... It was Jeff Goldblum and Michelle yeah. Pfeiffer. Yeah. Okay. yeah. okay, so so we do the theme song and we do the first video. The first video had James Gatson and guys from the session. So then we do a second video and, and um, BB said, you know, John Landis likes your look and he wants you to be in the video. I didn't know at that point that Jeff Goldblum could really play the piano, right? Okay, so because Michelle Pfeiffer is also in the film, they're going to have her in the fake horn section, and we're doing Midnight Hour. So if you Google Midnight Hour B.B. King, we had to keep delaying the shoot of the video because they're like, well, Eddie Murphy called, and he said he could play drums. So now the horn section is Michelle Pfeiffer, Steve Martin, Danny DeVito, Dan Aykroyd, 
BB singing, playing the guitar. I'm playing guitar. Jeff Goldboom is playing the piano. And we did it at um, the place that was on Coanga and Santa Monica. Remember those Starwood? Starwood, it was... Oh, yeah. It was there many times. Yeah, that, I, I, I actually saw um, Parliament Funkadelic there one night. Yeah, Incredible show. That's, where we shot, that's where we shot the video, right? Santa Monica Boulevard, right? Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. So now I'm hanging out with BB. He says, no, hey, look, you know, you can just come to my trailer and just hang out. You know, we're born on the same day, you know, um, you know, he said, you know, same day, 40, 50 years apart, but it don't matter, you know. So now I'm getting to hang out with BB King. And, you know, I had always listened to that song, Why I Sing the Blues. And I knew the lyrics, but then he's telling me, he says, have you ever really listened to the lyrics? I'm like, well, I can sing the song for you right now. He says, no, have you listened to this? So now I'm listening to the lyrics. You know, that's a deep song. Because, you know, um, he says, when I first got the blues, they brought me here on the ship. Men standing over me with chains and a whip. Everybody wants to know why I sing the blues. Then the second line is, I laid in the ghetto flats Cold and numb, I heard the rats tell the roaches to save the bed bugs some. <laughs> Everybody, you know, and I could sing him the lyrics. I'm like, damn. Then I realized that he co-wrote the song. You know what I'm saying? So that's when he said, you got to listen to my stuff again because there's messages in my songs. Mm. And that's when I start listening you know, to not just the feel of the song, but what he was saying. You know, so, man, th this has been great, Scott. This has been great. Yeah, it's been great getting to know you. Thank you so much, Stay Scott, for having me. I really appreciate yeah. it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to Pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkinstuff.net, buying Everything is on the One, the first guide to funk book, at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at funkinstuff.net, and linking through funkinstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven, results-oriented professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the media services section at funkinstuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at funkinstuff.net. I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Goldfine saying, keep on keep vibing on to the rhythm of the one.